Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Erica Katz is a pseudonym for a graduate of the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor and Columbia Law School. She began her career at a major Manhattan law firm. She's a native of Tenafly, New Jersey, and she now lives in New York City, where she's employed at another major law firm. Her first novel was The Boys Club, and she's just released in February of this year, Fake, which was released, uh, as I said, in February of this year. It's her second novel. And Erica, thank you for coming to the Storyteller's Microphone today. Thank you so much for having me, Grace. It's a pleasure to be here. One of the things I try to do on the Storytellers is always get to the story behind the Storyteller, and there always is one. So why does somebody who is a successful Manhattan lawyer, many people's ideal dream, also need to tell stories? Um, I loved being a lawyer. Um, no, I liked being a lawyer. In fact, probably the reason I started to write was I didn't love being a lawyer. Um, and I think you reach an inflection point in your life where you are comfortable. Um, and it is that comfort for me that makes, that gives you the freedom to question what you really want to do. Right. So you're, you're no longer trying to gain comfort or creature comforts and you start to explore your passions. And for me, I think I always sorted my thoughts best via the written word um, in an informal sense. Every time I got in a fight with my parents or broke up with someone, there was always um, something written down um, that allowed me to figure out what I was thinking. Um, and when I wrote the first book, it was sort of the Me Too movement was just heating up. Donald Trump was president. New York was a crazy place with tons of opinions. And I was in corporate America for the first time in my life. I grew up in a family of doctors. I saw and heard things I was unfamiliar with. And I had a lot of feelings. And I was comfortable financially. And I just started to write. And I realized very quickly that while I liked being a lawyer, I loved writing. And um, I continued to do so. That's a great answer because I know many of us who are authors say all the time, I don't know what I'm thinking until I write it down. And you just captured that. You also captured something that is important and you were financially comfortable, which is obviously important in terms of trying to make a living as an author. But also I think we've come to a point where we have to be comfortable in our own skins to really tell our story. And it sounds like that was very true of you as well. Yes, absolutely. And um, more than the question, why do you write? Because I think, um, you know, five minutes into speaking to me, you realize it's something I love. But more I get the question, um, oh, gosh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> sorry. More, That's okay. We're talking about being comfortable on our own skin. Oh, yeah. Sorry. More I get the question, why didn't you write right out of college? right? Like, do you regret? So that's exactly what I was thinking. Do you regret going to law school? And I had student loans. And do you regret the time you spent as a lawyer? And the short answer is unequivocally no. First of all, it provided me fodder, you know, for my first book. But um, second of all, I think that I didn't have 
I grew I grew up in a lovely family with um, not a lot of struggle to be completely frank. And I didn't, what would I have written about if I started <laughs> right, right after college, you know, um, the wonderful friends I had, it's, it's not interesting. And so I, um, you know, I took out student loans. I went to law school and I worked in this huge corporation with some very ugly underbelly. And um, I had all these stories to tell and my imagination soared. And, and it did. I've only re uh, read snippets of the boys club, but I'm now currently reading Fake, your new novel, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But what I loved about the intro to this when your publicist uh, communicated with me, I read something you had written, which was that you like to explore in your writing. We touched on that already a little bit, but you wanted to talk about and address the idea that there's so much fake, fake in relationships, fake in society, fake in Instagram. I'm guilty of that. And so let's talk about why fake was something you wanted to explore. And then we'll just jump right in to your great novel. So, um, first of all, everyone is guilty of being fake on Instagram. It is inherently <laughs> oh, fake. Good. And it's a huge part of the inspiration and impetus for writing the book. Um, I had very little social media presence prior to writing The Boys Club. When I was told that you need to establish a social media presence, bookstagrammers and podcasters are the way to go. They will get in touch with you via Instagram. Um, probably part of the reason I'm here is Instagram. I'm sure maybe you clicked on my bio like many people. Um, and... It, it is in, inherently fake, right? Even, even those more realistic, um, no filter posts that people make are intended to be seen by the population at large. And therefore there is a, a fakeness to them. So I think using Instagram for the first time in my life, understanding the need to do so professionally was a big part of the reason I started to think about fake and that, and the novel came from there. Um, I also think that as anyone who has turned on TV or, or read some of these amazing books that have come out about it, um, you know, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes has been in the news and um, Anna Sorkin from Inventing Anna. And there were just all these huge, the WeWork sort of, WeWork blew up as a company, which is what We Crashed is based on. And there was just these massive frauds happening on what I thought was a more, at least national scale than ever before. And the reason is because information is just so widely disseminated, right? It is so easy to be some, some Facebook or Instagram celebrity, reach huge amounts of people and, um, and blow up in the process. Um, and I thought that the perfect sort of physical manifestation of the psychological fakeness was fake art. Um, and I also have just consumed mass amounts of literature and film on forgery and the forgery scheme. And it, it brings to light what I think one of the most fascinating questions is, is if, if you are so good at faking something, is there not an inherent artistic value to that? And who is to say a signature at the bottom of a page means that the value, like the market value should skyrocket. So I love thinking about these things. Um, I love that I'm fortunate in my life to have a, a core family and friends 
with whom I don't need to be fake. And I get to talk about this stuff ad nauseum with them. And um, I just think it's, I think it's a fascinating world to explore. And I hope you'd agree. I don't really come out judgmentally or you haven't finished it, but I, but throughout the book, I sort of understand the benefit of social media. Absolutely. I don't have a huge amount of judgment towards it. I'm just fascinated by it. Well, and I love that. And I love that we talked about Instagram for a minute because um, first of all, I, I didn't follow you before I got your book. I do now follow you as everybody else should, but there is that uh, element. And then I'm always surprised. And, and this is a, aside from our focus today, but I had this accident several weeks ago where I fell and my face was totally black and blue. And everybody said I had to cancel all my social media because I didn't look real. And I was like, oh no, this is, this is real. This is just what you get. And right. I appreciate that. So now let's talk about the amazing Emma. Are you okay? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. Thank you. Oh my God. But let's talk about your character, the amazing Emma, who brought me into a world I knew nothing about, which is the art of skilled forgery, which is planned and legal until right. something goes very awry. So talk about the plot, if you will, of fake. So fake follows our protagonist, Emma Khan, from what you said correctly, is a perfectly legal job copying high-end artwork. There's a market for it. Um, collectors don't always hang originals on their walls because people smoke and light and sunlight um, and, you know, drunk people at parties bump into them. And it's it's just a absolute minefield for high-end art. And so people put there are in vaults and they hang amazing copies on the wall. Um, people also donate their art to museums and get tax breaks or, you know, there's also insurance benefits to it and they hang fakes on their wall. Or some people just hang fakes on their wall, but there is a legitimate market for copying art. Um, and our protagonist, Emma Khan, does that. She does it so well that she falls into the hands of a very big billionaire art collector named Leonard Sabetsky, who takes a particular interest in her and her work. And I think that she is just so enamored with living a life that she never dreamed, being able to help a mother who is sort of struggling. Um, that is my dog rolling around in the background. <laughs> we love dogs. Um, and being able to help her mother who's really struggling in the wake of her father's death that she sort of sticks her head in the sand about why she's being being offered all these amazing opportunities which include gallery openings and art fairs in hong kong and private planes to get there and uh fancy dinners and um eventually she she can't quite deny that something um, less than savory is afoot and she starts to do a little digging and needs to dig herself out of this hole that she finds herself in. It's it's a fascinating read and I like just from the very opening it starts with an FBI interview and it feels like it. It looks like a transcript. It's beautifully typeset because you feel right from the very beginning like oh my gosh I'm, I'm special. I get to see these FBI documents. So kudos to you on all of that including the story. One of the things I enjoyed when I was interacting with your publicist because I did not find you on Instagram amazingly was I wanted to talk to you about audience. One of the things on storytellers we know you know when I'm interviewing a young adult um, author or 
someone who writes poetry or even, you know, a Nobel Peace Prize winner who's interested in the environment. I always want to know who's the audience for your message and for your book. And when I was reading your press release, I loved, as an author myself and as someone who spends a lot of time reading, I love words. I love the magic of words. And I loved that your work was um, described not as riveting fiction or amazing. It was called propulsive fiction. It was all, there was another word that talked about your verisimilitude, verisimilitude, which I write and I always stumble when I say. So that to me said that your publisher has a certain audience in mind. Is that correct? Or does your publisher just use great words? Or both. I think it's a combination. I think that um, the press release is a, um, you know, an amalgamation of efforts by various people, including my editor, who is one of the most articulate people um, I've ever met in my entire life. And my publicist, Leslie, who is equally amazing and quite the wordsmith herself. Um, But I do think you are correct and astute in realizing that it is, um, it does take a certain complex brain to even understand (laughs) the pitch for it. And I think that is intentional. Um, I think there's a lot going on in the book. And while there is a sort of young coming of age social media component, the real perspective of the book is to understand fakeness and the world at large surrounding the protagonist. And it's really geared towards an older reader understanding that world. Um, And I think probably that is a large part of the word choice, but the word choice is beautiful. And I hope that it appeals to the reader I'm hoping to attract, which is someone who wants to dissect the world around them, but also have a lot of fun. And I, I think I think that will be accomplished. What you talk about in terms of fake really intrigued me because I I had heard a little bit about legitimate fake art, if you will. But you raised so many questions for me. Like, if I go see the Mona Lisa, is it the real Mona Lisa? <laughs> how do I how do I know? Does, a, it, does, lot it, does of, a lot of times they'll tell you, um, but art needs to be cleaned and touched up and sometimes restored if something happens. And sometimes you're just not looking at the real thing. Um, And that is in and of itself interesting, but you dig another layer and you realize that someone made this and it is worth like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the market value of the original. And that is what fascinates me. Um, The market for art and the market for any um, the market for any subjectively valued thing that is supposed to move someone emotionally, yeah. be it music or literature or physical art like that, like paintings. Um, it, it absolutely fascinates me and opinions can differ and, and what makes good taste and what makes someone a critic, right? A highly valued critic. Um, these are all things I think about on a daily basis, more so now that I'm criticized. Um, but yes, I think about it and I find it so interesting. And um, I like to think that I have good taste, but I, I think that something I say on an almost daily basis, um, often in my workplace at the law firm, but 
just as often to my friends is rational minds can differ on this. Like I say that all the time. It is one of the expressions that is always on the tip of my tongue. Like I, I don't think there's always a right answer to things. And um, when it comes to like market value for subjectively valuable things, I just, I find it, you know, I could, I could talk about it forever. Well, I'll, I'll steal that, that um, rational minds can differ on that because I was someplace last night and that phrase would have really helped me out. So I will <laughs> borrow that phrase it's from true, you. true, right? Like there's just sometimes, sometimes perfect, like sometimes you just disagree is, is and that's what makes horse racing, that's, that's what makes the world go round. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the business side of being an author. I love that in preparing for today, first of all, your book was called A Must Read. It was covered in Cosmo, BuzzFeed, Good Morning America, The New York Post, as engaging and so intriguing. How does the business side of that happen? Because I think many of us as authors would love those same uh, ability to say those things. Um, I will fully disclose that I feel extremely, extremely fortunate that I have very little to do with that. Um, <laughs> I, I write my book and I, I work very hard at writing it and I work very hard at editing it. And um, I had the unbelievable good luck. Um, and also I was steered in this direction by my agent to sign with HarperCollins, who does a tremendous job of giving you a publicist and an incredible editor and cover art and all of that matters for the marketing of a novel. Um, and, and I think that it's a hundred percent what I'm writing about in fake. Like there's the question of does all good art, does cream always rise to the top? And if there's an amazing book out there sitting in the Amazon self-published uh, list will it get read the way mine has? Because I had an actual graphic designer work on my cover and I have a publicist like Leslie writing words like propulsive <laughs> to, to sell it. And um, I, I truly, truly, truly do nothing but try to show up for these interviews and, um, and talk about things that interest me because that's what I write about. Um, and, and I don't do much of the back end stuff. Uh, my advice to anyone trying to write a book, I think, is to to not poo-poo the marketing side of it because I think that you can have a, a work with a tremendous amount of integrity and um, sometimes it doesn't get seen. Like, I truly believe that. I'm not, I'm not the author that signed a, a good deal and thinks all cream rises. Like, I actually think there's probably the next great American novel sitting un, like unpublished somewhere and I think it's so unfortunate. But... Because I struggled to get my book read the first time, I will say that I read everything that comes my way. And um, I always respond to anyone reaching out on my webpage or social media or email. So if you are trying to get published, um, I can't really help you with the marketing side of it, but I, I can offer whatever advice I can give. I, I'm so happy you said that because one of the things that has just delighted me in the last two years is that we as an author community lift each other up. It is not a competition. No. And so, so thank you. So where do people find you? So I'm on Instagram at Erica A. Katz. Um, I am at ericacatsbooks.com and that has all of my information. It has also 
I mean, to the extent you want to stalk these people, it has all of my represent my representers information. Um, and like, that'll show you how to get in touch with me via email, Facebook, Instagram, uh, what have you. So fake is amazing. It's, it's very real. They can get I can't it. can't wait to hear what you think of the ending. I will. And what's next? Or is it too new for there to be a next? Um, so I am working. It is coming along slowly. I am. Um, it's been a wonderful end to the pandemic for me. Um, we are. I'm having a wedding with my fiance, which has been <laughs> slow because of the state of the world. Um, mm -hmm. So writing has been in the most delicious way, taking a backseat for the first time in a while, because for a while it was all, it was the only thing keeping me sane. Mm -hmm. um, but I am working on a book with two female best friend protagonists set in an ER um, that involves the dangerous uncovering of an opioid scandal in the wake of the opioid crisis. Um, and I think it's going to be really dark and yummy and I hope people love it. That's fabulous. As we wind up for today, is there something quirky about you other than perhaps the fact that you use a pseudonym that you would like people <laughs> to know about? And if you'd like to tell us why you use a pseudonym, that would be fabulous as well. Yeah, well, I will tell you why I use a pseudonym. I think people um, expect there to be some, you know, artistic reason to it. But I was um, working as a junior associate at a law firm when I wrote my first book, The Boys Club, which is hyper critical of law firms. And I had no idea if I'd make any money off of it. And I have no other marketable skills. So I thought I'd get fired <laughs> if the law firm found out about it. And if it wasn't a success, I really I would have been really out of luck. So I used a pseudonym in an attempt to sort of keep church and state separated for as long as possible and remain employed. Um, as it turns out, it was successful. And also I switched firms and my new firm is you know, really supportive of my writing career. So um, unnecessary, but um, it's a good last name. It is my mother's maiden name. So um, I'm sticking with it. It's a tribute and, to her. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's a tribute to her. So what else is something yeah. quirky that people might not know? Um, something quirky about me. Um, well, I get nervous and I play with my earlobes <laughs> and um, oftentimes like I will touch other people's earlobes if I'm like spacing out. Like I'll sometimes <laughs> just <laughs> like if I'm really tired or something, I'll just like reach over to my sister. Um, I've done it since I was a baby. Um, what I think I think that might be it. I'm not really I'm not. Really I like that. And that's yeah. something that will never appear on your website, I'm sure. No, it's yeah. It's like when I'm deep in thought, I'll just if you like tug at them. Good to know. Erica, thank you for being my guest on The Storytellers today. I hope you'll come back when you launch your next dark, delicious, yummy novel. And I wish you the best of success. Thank you. It would be an honor to be back. Thanks for having me. This has been a copyrighted episode of Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network by Grace Salmon. Take care and have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us on The Storytellers Microphone. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.